at least 10 states have already banned or severely restricted abortion in the last 72 hours. The initial ruling in Roe v. Wade set a legal precedent for the right to privacy under the 14th Amendment. Since then, that right has come up in many landmark civil rights decisions, including the right to a same-sex marriage. To break down what this new precedent might mean for other cases, we are joined by Susan Burgess, a senior lecturer at DePaul University and political science professor at Ohio University. Welcome to Reset, Professor. Hi, Sasha. Thanks for having me. So, How are you feeling, Professor, about the uh, decision on Friday? Well, I mean, it's a very puzzling decision in certain kinds of ways because it's very outside the mainstream of American constitutional law. Um, the reason why that is is typically constitutional law decisions in the United States balance interests of competing groups. And this decision in Dobbs is unusual because it really forefronts pretty much to the expense of all other interests one set of interests um, that pertaining to the pro-life side of the discussion. And that's makes it hard to live together in a constitutional democracy. You know, usually decisions make place for both winners and losers in a decision, and this one just doesn't. So it's quite radical, you know, quite outside the um, mainstream of American constitutional law. So you think we're losing on all sides here? Well, we're losing... um, you know, the right to choose, but also we're losing the ability to live together uh, in a constitutional democracy. You can't have just one voice ruling, um, you know, in these kinds of decisions, even though they're very controversial. You know, you have to be able to accommodate a wide variety of interests. That's what it means to live in a plural society versus an authoritarian society. I want to play a little clip of President Biden's speech uh, on Friday. Here's a bit of him talking about what Roe v. Wade did for Americans. Let's listen. It reaffirmed basic principles of equality, that women have the power to control their own destiny, and it reinforced a fundamental right of privacy, the right of each of us to choose how to live our lives. So we're clear, Professor Burgess, for those who aren't sure, what is the right to privacy? Well, the right to privacy is grounded in the 14th Amendment, the Constitutional 14th Amendment uh, Due Process Clause. And the most basic thing to understand about the Due Process Clause is it puts limitations on state power. And one of the reasons why this decision is quite unusual is because it basically gives carte blanche to states, and it does so with respect specifically to the right to privacy. You know, the right to privacy has long been protected by the 14th Amendment, so states have had um, serious limitations put on it with respect to things like um, not being able to sterilize people, uh, people being able to decide whether to send their children to Catholic school or not, uh, married couples and then later single single people being able to use uh, contraceptives in the privacy of their own homes, Mm -hmm. and still later... um, you know, the women's right to choose uh, whether to bear or beget a child. And still later, um, you know, basic rights for LGBT citizens, including the right to decide whom to have sex with, uh, the right to be able to marry, uh, and other related rights as well. Yeah. So the right to privacy is basically about, you know, people's autonomy and making very basic decisions having to do with, um, you know, the way they move through the world, who they decide to love, 
um, how they decide to constitute their families, the right to be free from uh, bodily incursion, and so forth. Yeah, so so Roe set a new precedent then for, for the right to privacy, right? And it's been used yeah. quite a bit since. That's right. And it was really, in many ways, the product of a robust uh, movement for women's rights at that time, you know? So uh, the court often responds to um, movements, political movements from the outside um, that are moving the country in different directions. And Roe versus Wade was the product of a growing understanding in the country that women were full citizens and should be able to make their own decisions, you know, in consultation with their doctors mm-hmm. about um, how to use their bodies and how to, um, you know, make basic decisions about um, family life and so forth. And now we have Dobbs versus Jackson, in which, you know, the court ruled six to three to overturn Roe. Give us an overview, Professor, of, of what new precedent the court has now set. Well, um, Roe versus Wade gave women a certain amount of leeway to make these decisions, um, and it recognized other interests that the state had in regulating women's health, as well as at a certain point in time in a pregnancy, the state's interest in um, actual life. But what the Dobbs decision does is it basically says that women don't have these rights anymore, that the court is not going to uh, recognize those rights, and that states have uh, pretty much carte blanche to decide what they want to do uh, with respect to these basic decisions uh, that women make, including compelling or mandating women being forced to uh, carry pregnancies to term. That's that's something new. Yeah. That's something really um, quite a lot of power to give to states that should give people pause, uh, regardless of what they think they may think about abortion uh, in their own personal lives. That's quite a lot of power to give to states to make those that kind of fundamental decision and to compel that kind of um, bodily constraint for that period of time. Yeah. Well, you know, Justice Alito wrote in the decision, Roe was egregiously wrong from the start. What's the legal argument there? Um, the legal argument there has to do with, I suppose, um, a view, a particular, a specific view about um, life beginning, you know, prenatally. Yeah. Or perhaps even as early at conception. So, you know, as you know, Justice Thomas hinted in his um, concurring opinion that this, these basic decisions about even married couples using contraceptives in their own home or the ability of, you know, gay people to make decisions about whom they have sexual intimacy with or be able to marry, that all of those decisions might be up for grabs. Yeah. This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. If you're just joining us, we're talking with Susan Burgess, who teaches political science at DePaul and Ohio University. Uh, let's pick up where you left off there, Professor. Um, Clarence Thomas wrote in his concurring opinion that the court should reconsider other decisions, right, such as Griswold, Lawrence, and um, Obergefell. Um, what's he saying? Um, he's basically saying that all of these decisions having to do with privacy or almost all of them, are subject to um, 
reconsideration, and that the court should do that, in his words, at the earliest possible moment. And um, it's important to notice that, um, you know, it's a little in the weeds, but Chief Justice Roberts has really lost control of the court, and um, Justice Thomas is now uh, firmly in control of the majority. It's also important to notice one of the things that Justice Thomas left off of his list was interracial marriage, you know, which is also uh, protected by the Due Process Clause, as well as the Equal Protection Clause. And, um, you know, he himself uh, lives in an interracial marriage, but he didn't mention that on his list, which is quite curious. Mm. Do other justices agree with him, with Thomas? Um, Five of the... the, um, Justices indicated that they agree with the decision about um, upholding the law in Mississippi, but it is not clear whether all of those justices agree with uh, Justice Thomas with regard to this longer list of um, the right to privacy, which needs, in his view, needs to be reconsidered. Yeah. Um, in fact, Justice Kavanaugh went out of his way in his concurrence to suggests that no one should be worried about those rights, that they're more secure. Um, You know, it remains to be seen. And, of course, as you know, um, trust that people have in the Supreme Court right now um, is quite low. It's at historical lows. So it is unlikely that people will, in the wake of this very radical decision, um, trust the words of Justice Kavanaugh or other of the justices, including Alito, who said, you know, this is only about abortion. So what would a legal challenge to Griswold versus Connecticut actually mean for, for cases that followed? Well, that's a good question. I mean, first of all, how would that how would that come about? So basically what Justice Thomas is doing in his concurrence is saying, bring us cases like this. He's asking, uh, you know, conservative um, uh, advocacy groups to dig up cases that would allow the the court to reconsider uh, these basic rights. So basically, his concurrence is a trumpet call for uh, advocates of that side to to find cases that will um, challenge those rights and how that will happen to be seen. The thing that's also quite radical about his concurrence and the opinion in general is it creates um, tremendous instability in the law, you know, like, you asked me a question, a very specific question, mm-hmm. it's hard for me to answer exactly how that will happen. Yeah. Because the rule now is one of great uncertainty, and it remains to be seen um, what will unroll from there. That's also very dangerous to constitutional democracy, right? Because the basic principle of constitutional democracy is the rule of law, which suggests that people should be able to um, rely on or understand what the law, that the law, what it meant yesterday more or less, it will mean today mm-hmm. and tomorrow as well. So this is quite a big change. We don't know what's going to happen in the future. So LGBTQ people are nervous about what this means for their marriages. Um, I want to play a clip yeah. from one person at uh, yesterday's Pride Parade here in Chicago. I've been with my wife 16 years, 16 years, and it's sad that we have to even go back to the old days where they want to put us back in the closet and um, we're not going we're not going same-sex marriage is not going anywhere and they need to accept the fact that we're not moving and we're going to be here so professor burgess you, you specialize in lgbtq politics 
how much should queer people be be worrying about the future of same-sex marriage? Queer people have um, every um, indication that their rights are under threat. And uh, people should take precautions, all the precautions that they possibly can, to legally protect their marriages or other relationships. You know, whether that means getting married itself or whether that means, um, you know, changing their wills or, um, you know, health, health protections and so forth. People should, should, should take this seriously and should take steps for sure. Is, is this advice for existing marriages too? Sure. What does that mean for yeah. those? I mean, you know, um, if we're to take Justice Thomas at his word, he intends for the court to reconsider same-sex marriage and to possibly throw that back to the states as well. And so, you know, some states might choose to decide not to, um, you know, recognize those marriages at all. Uh, an interesting fact in recent polling suggests that the, the polarization in the United States, the political polarization is so extreme right now that fully one-third of people think that they would see secession, states pulling away from each other outside of the union in their lifetime, mm-hmm. which is, and that's before this ruling. So that's the kind of thing that this kind of radical decision can exacerbate, you know, to encourage states to pull away from the norms of the federal government and so forth. Are there any warning signs that from the court that married couples could watch for? Um, you know, that won't happen tomorrow. That may not even happen in the next term. You know, the signs that we need to watch for is what kinds of cases the court um, takes uh, and decides to give a full hearing to in subsequent years. But mm-hmm. that won't happen right away. So, you know, the good news for LGBT people is that that gives them time to take preventive and precautionary measures. Um, But in terms of when that will happen, we do not know. We don't know. Is there anything... Again, again, the uncertainty, right? Yeah, oh, for sure, for sure. Um, We're 72 hours, you know, out from from this this massive decision. So uh, there's a lot we're trying to piece together right now. Um, I, I wonder if there's anything that elected officials can do to protect these rights. LGBTQ rights, specifically. Oh, sure. I mean, you know, the first thing that could happen at the federal... Well, President Biden has already said that he's going to take steps through executive order. That that power is limited. And also, if, um, you know, President Biden were to lose the 2024 election or the Democrats would lose the 2024 election, um, executive orders don't last through different administrations. You know, so they're very permanent. But that is one thing that can happen. Um, you know, here in Illinois... Governor Pritzker has already started to talk about, you know, Illinois being um, like a sanctuary state. That is to say, he's encouraging, uh, you know, women who need abortions to come to Illinois. um, And that um, in Chicago as well, you know, there's been some indication that Chicago will provide support in that way, Mm -hmm. including to some extent financial support. In Congress, you know, as we all know, Congress is very fractured right now. So it's hard to it's hard to imagine, in some ways, Congress um, passing, you know, a law that would codify Roe. However, if uh, people like Senators Manchin and Collins are taken at their word that they're very upset 
about the decision in Dobbs, perhaps they would consider um, creating an exception for the filibuster rule. Yeah. Um, and that would then require only 50 votes to codify Roe. So they should be asked, they should be pressured to um, be taken at their word on that. So what are you going to be watching for, especially in the coming weeks and months? You know, Sasha, um, one of the most important things to know about a robust protection of rights is that it requires robust political movements. You know, the one of the reasons why women... Uh, got the right to uh, choose in the first place was because there was a very strong feminist movement at that time. Same thing with African-Americans, you know. Mm-hmm. One of the ways in which um, African-Americans' civil rights were came to be protected is uh, through years of robust social and political movement um, that advocated for that. So I expect to see a rising group of people based upon groups that are already out there and have been working in this field for years and years to contest this ruling and to bring people together under a shared umbrella of all the people who are affected by uh, the erosion of the right to privacy, um, to come together and to fight this ruling and to put pressure on all the institutions of government at all different levels to uh, rescind it. Susan Burgess is a senior lecturer at DePaul University and political science professor at Ohio University. Thank you so much. Thank you, Sasha. Thanks for listening. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. We've got more for you on the podcast, WBEZ's Reset, wherever you listen.